0: All right, Om Namo, Gurudev Namo. I bow to the teacher within and I welcome you to this recording of the Bruja Report podcast. I was just warming up and doing tests to make sure that all of my electronics were working because it's really easy for me to uh, get excited about talking and then I get on here and I haven't had any of my sound stuff set up. So, and speaking of sound stuff... Thank you for your patience with the last Bruhe Report podcast. I'm finding out what works and what doesn't. And I've been talking about doing a podcast for a really long time. And I know that just like teaching yoga or anything else like that, in the beginning, you're going to be crap. But if you just keep practicing, you're going to get better and better at it. And um, to me, I've said this many times before on this podcast and elsewhere, but it's really important to me that things feel fun and don't feel like work. And I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast, and he was like, in the beginning, it was crap. You know, like we didn't know what we were doing. Um, but over time, you find what works as a format. And as a result, he's able to have this like wonderful podcast that lets him just really be himself. Um, anyway, so I was warming up and stuff on the Brew Hub report, and I was talking about how I was lucky enough to get the domain name InnateMothering.com. I also own UnconditionalFeminism.com, and it's really funny because right now there's so like every people just buy and sell domains and Instagram handles, and usually everything with the word mother or female in it has all been bought up because uh, you know every time. A new mom comes into existence with their specific set of difficulties because every mom has a child, you know, there's specific sets of difficulties that come and they're all proportionate. We never get more than we can handle. So it's not like, you know, a a mother with a handicapped child is struggling more than a, a colicky baby. It's just, it's proportionate. We all have the same amount of suffering and uh, the pain and the intensity of the pain is, is the same across everyone. And it's important to understand that because uh, otherwise we just are sympathetic with people. And when we tap into our own suffering and honor our own story and the difficulties that we've had on our own journey, we're able to tap into the universal suffering and have compassion for people that we've never met before. Anyways, I was telling my sister I'm like I'm so surprised that I was able to get not only the Instagram handle but the domain name as well for innate mothering and unconditional feminism and it's interesting to me that up until this point nobody's ever considered that you you you're innately a mother. Nobody has to teach you. You have an innate wisdom when it comes to knowing how to raise your child. And also, I guess it's never occurred to anybody that feminism right now is extremely conditional where feminists support other women that are just like them, but have a disdain for I don't know, a woman that might, be, uh, might have voted for Trump or a woman who chooses to stay home instead of joining the workforce. Usually we have resistance to our own mothers on some level or another. And you really don't get through this life without forgiving your mom. It's not much of a life until you really heal the relationship with the women in your lines. Um, but so many of us have resistance towards what we feel our mother was or wasn't you know, was either too much of or not enough of. And as a result, when we see other women that remind us of her, like, oh, my God, you're so uncontrollable emotionally, just like my mother. That's not the type of woman that you support. And all of your help and stuff is geared towards making women that aren't like you more like you. And it's, just, you know, right now you have this idea that if the world could just have more people in it like you, it would be a better place. That if you could just convert more people to your way of thinking, if you could get people to behave a little bit more like you and do things the way that you would do them, that we would be in a better world. Yes or no? Yes or no? I know nobody wants to admit to this, but we think that, you know, if you could just be a little bit more like me, it would be a better world when in actuality if you really met yourself you wouldn't be able to handle it you would hate yourself because you know we're we're always our own blind spot and we see other people doing things and we say oh my god i can't stand the way that you do things or i would never do something like that and actually You are. They're mirroring you. You just don't want to see it. And it's so funny because we say all the time, like, I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. And then one person points out to you, hey, specifically here, you're not perfect. And it's a friend ender. You're like, what? Oh my God, how could you say that? I'm not like that. You get very defensive. And you know, there's something to be said for accepting all sides of yourself. It's actually super important, accepting that every possible reality of you could be true, the ones that you love to be called and the ones that you loathe to be called. But All that, all that to say, uh, feminism is very conditional right now. So I've started a movement called unconditional feminism and we'll see where it goes, but most excited I am is, uh, for innate mothering and innate mothering is a 90 minute circle that we're going to be doing once a month. You can buy tickets on my website. It's 22 bucks. Um, But it's all about, it's not like mom advice, like, oh, you know, here's how you do this, or here's how to deal with your baby when they're screaming or teething or whatever. As a mom, you hear a lot that it's not about you. That it's not about you anymore. And I think that that's the most toxic, misinformed belief ever because we don't have, if we haven't worked through our own shit as moms, then we're just unconsciously perpetuating the same abusive patterns that we resent our own parents for. If you haven't healed them, you're forced to perpetuate them because in a lot of ways it's easier to say, this is just how you do it. Kids get spanked or whatever than it is to acknowledge that the, some of the experiences of your life were really fucked up and you aren't healed from it and you need to be. There's no formula for parenting, and nobody else should give you a formula for parenting. The problem is that we don't have enough trust in our innate feminine wisdom to feel like we could just do it naturally, intuitively, and not fuck it up. We're so afraid. We have so many judgments about what we think a good mom or a bad mom is, and as a result, we're crippled with insecurity because we're afraid that if we don't do it perfectly, we'll be a bad mom, just like we've judged someone else. But no one is a better mother for your child than you are. And you have to trust that. You can birth a baby on your own. You can raise a baby. You can educate a baby. You can keep your baby safe and healthy. You innately know how to do this. But society and judgments have have made us forget that. So I'm really excited about this innate mothering circle because it's not mom advice. It's not mom life. It's mothers have a specific set of shit that we have to work through you know not the same for everybody but it's it's the highest it's the highest version of feminine is being an awakened mother and if you can trust that you could forget everything society has told you about being a mom and you'd be the best mom it's the same way your body doesn't have to remember how to have a baby it knows but you know how to mother your child the best possible way. And I'm really excited to share this with the world. So we have, um, that's such cool stuff going on this month. We have the eating disorder circle, that's on the 14th. Then we have um, the full moon circle, which I'm really excited about. We're going to be talking about jealousy and comparison. That's on the Bruja report on the full moon, which is the 12th. And then I think it's the 25th that we have the mothering circle. And Uh, I've been lucky enough to have worked for myself since 2015. This, the the last like three months or so, my schedule has looked really, really good, but this month really takes the cake. I'm very uh, excited about it. So Today, every two weeks, we do Q&A on the Hub Report. It's one of my favorite things that I get to do because, A, I don't have to rehearse for it. I just come, come to it and see what people are going to ask me, and it's usually something that I didn't know I really uh, wanted to talk about. Um, but we do this every two weeks, and if you want to submit questions, you can do it on the Hub Report, and then this becomes a podcast, which is on Apple and Spotify. So let's just get right into it. All right. Anonymous question. I see the word porn addiction in this question already and I'm very excited about it because the first Bruja Report broadcast I ever did, which is on the archives, when you are a member of Bruja Report, you get access to like hundreds and hundreds of lectures and grief recovery and all this stuff on, on my website. And the very first one I did was called In Defense of Porn. So I have a friend with a severe porn addiction. He participates in this at least three times a day when he wakes sometime during the day and before bed. He is disturbed by it and feels it interferes with his quality of life. Inability to stick to his word and change the behavior creates shame. Any words of advice? Yeah, my first word of advice is that it's not your problem. And I'm only saying this because women have been trained to be codependent. So a lot of times I get a lot of people asking for a friend and... Somebody has to get to the point where they realize that they have a problem, whether it's alcohol, pornography, drugs, eating disorders, anything like that. I had somebody email me and be like, yo, you know, I'm asking for a friend, you know, who has an eating disorder. And I was like, don't say anything to her about it. Because honestly, like I, as someone who had an eating disorder, all four eating disorders for over 10 years... There had been times where people tried to stage interventions with me, and I just stopped talking to them altogether because I wasn't ready to quit. And you have to be ready, you have to actually see it as a problem. And so, and I tell everybody, like, look, no one else's story is your story. So if you have a problem with it, then you have a problem, not because someone else has a problem with it. Like, you have to get to the space first for yourself where you want to have healing. Um, So when it comes to any addiction, let me just drink a sip of this water. When it comes to any addiction, we either do um, the definition of addiction by the Surgeon General is compulsively repeating a behavior even though the results are undesirable or life-threatening is actually the Surgeon General definition, but I I think that undesirable is a lot more appropriate. we we can't stop compulsively repeating this thing it's like we say i i try to explain this to people because it's such a problem but like your mind doesn't listen to you because your mind is not one person. Your mind is thousands and thousands of people and none of them get along with the other. They all have conflicting beliefs. You don't even have one person in charge of all of these people. So for example, you know, you wake up in the morning and one version of you says today, I'm not going to masturbate anymore. And then two hours later, you've been hijacked. Literally your body's been hijacked by somebody else who's now furiously like jerking off. And it's because your mind doesn't listen to you. You say, I'm not going to do this. And then another part of your mind comes and takes over. And another, and another, you say, I'm not going to text this person back. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to bang heroin anymore. I'm not going to sleep with strangers. I'm not going to go on Tinder. I'm not going to be on Instagram. You do not have autonomy. You have to work to gain autonomy. You have to, and the process of doing so, this is the exact work that we do on the school. The school is the highest spiritual education available on the internet right now and anybody that's in the school is going to tell you that. I take a lot of courses. I study with a lot of teachers. I'm incredibly proud of the content that's on the school because the first initiative with it was to help you realize that the reason you're not getting any spiritual results is because you do not have autonomy and that's the biggest misconception on all spiritual paths is that you can just decide inner peace. You can just think about how many times you've told yourself you weren't going to worry about something anymore, that you were no longer going to be insecure about this anymore, that you weren't going to throw up your food anymore. That's one of thousands and thousands and thousands of views in your head and in order for any results to happen. At all. You have to learn how to create what they call in the work, the fourth way work, a deputy steward. You need to put somebody in charge. You need to have somebody that can exert authority over all these arguing contradictory minds. And this takes, you have to earn it. And a lot of people don't want to get with this, but anybody that's on the school will tell you, yeah, it's a very intense couple of weeks in the beginning when you realize how many fucking voices are always going on in your head, the voice of your mother, the voice of your ex, negative fantasies, arguments waiting to be spit out, like all of these crazy things. But once you start working on that, you start to see serious results in uh, all aspects of your life. So this friend with the porn addiction is obviously struggling with this, you know, like he, one side of him wants to stop jerking off three times a day and another part of him is hurting. And we use our addictions for one of two reasons, either because we're trying to numb the pain of something. So a, a pain comes up. And in order to numb it and get away from it, we'll do anything we can. So like for this guy, he's like every time a certain feeling comes up to avoid feeling this feeling, he goes and jerks off which just creates a massive hangover of shame and everything the next day. Anyway, not to mention your orgasms suck when you're having them all the time, seriously. And it makes you really sick because life, you know, think about it. It's life juice, your semen, whether you're a male or a female, it's your life juice. And so if you're constantly expending that or expelling that or ejaculating that, it becomes very weak and your life source becomes very weak. So when you see people that have kind of like dead eyes or poor posture or just in general have a, a weak constitution it's from weak semen and you can make your semen strong again there's a lot of things that you can do to strengthen it but one of the main things is learning how to retain your semen even you know masturbating and not ejaculating which is so hard to do because you know like you're already there you're, you you don't go to the chinese buffet and don't get your cookie but it's such, an, it's such an important practice, and it also lends a lot to your creativity, your sense of vitality. And in um, Eastern paths, we call this OJAS, O-J-A-S. And if you're on the Bruja Report, I might have a couple of posts on my public, um, but you can search Abby talks OJAS, and you will see about this. Um, the other way we use addiction is to, is to control. So it's, a, it's either coming from a place of numbing or coming from the urge to control. So if things feel very like crazy in your life, you might turn to your addiction because it helps you feel safe and stable. This is like when you get that the alcoholics that just have to have like the one drink a day and it's so special for them and it's so safe for them because when they feel like things are out of their control, they can have this secret. It's like being naked under a fur coat or being on cocaine at work. It's like having this little thing that nobody knows about that keeps you safe, that keeps other elements from coming in. These are eating disorders like anorexia, addictions like obsessive compulsive disorder, um, can also be how you eat. Uh, It it shows up in a lot of different ways. Um, So if you have a friend with addiction, don't confront them because it's just rude. Uh, But if you have the opportunity, if the opportunity presents itself, the one question that I've found that can really get you on your path to healing almost any addiction is trying to identify what feeling am I avoiding when I'm reaching for my addiction? And you know, if it's, for example, I, eat, I binge eat to avoid feeling sadness. If you recognize that, you can ask yourself, well, why am I sad? And maybe you're sad because you lost your mother. And then you can ask yourself, is any amount of food going to bring my mother back? And when you realize that no amount of food is ever going to bring your mother back, then you're stuck with, yeah, now you've got to grieve your relationship with your mother completely. You've been putting that off for a long time with food. You've been putting that off for a long time with jerking off. You've been putting that off for a long time by getting high. Now you have to work on that. But when you work on it, you won't feel the need to numb out anymore if you realize that no amount of starving yourself or organizing things in an obsessive compulsive way, and I don't really believe in OCD. I think that some people are just more particular than others. And believe me, I've been around a lot of people that are diagnosed OCD, but I think uh, you know you might just like things a certain way. But if you realize, okay, well, no amount of controlling my weight, no amount of obsessing is ever going to bring my father who abandoned me back when you realize that, you know, then you have to go and work on your abandonment issues. But we, the whole reason we keep perpetuating an addiction is because we have this illusion that every time we do this, we're satiating that need we feel inside and and we're truly only making it worse. When you realize that And that it, you you know, no matter how long you've had this addiction for, it doesn't work the way you think that it's working. It stops holding value for you and you're able to release it easily. Now, I have been addicted to cocaine. I've had four different eating disorders. I was codependent. I was addicted to sex, addicted to alcohol, addicted to speed. Um, And all of these addictions, addicted to weed in an unhealthy way where I was just getting, you know, like blunted at 5 p.m. to just try and go to sleep. Um, But all of these addictions, I've been able to release very, very easily when the time was right. I spent five years trying to get sober but it was still valuable for me. When I stopped valuing alcohol, it left easily. When I stopped valuing binge eating, it left easily. Now, of course, then I had to do the actual work, you know, what all of these different numbers and controllers were a mask for, but that's when things in my life really started to pull together. So I hope that that answers your question. All right. I feel in my fucking bones that my purpose is to be a teacher of a spiritual life and get paid for it. I struggle with feeling like a fraud and I don't have a clear message. What would a first step towards shifting in this direction be and to get clear on my message? This is a great question and I'm, I'm so happy that I get to address this. If you feel like it's your destiny to be a spiritual teacher, I want you to give yourself five years, five years to figure it out, five years to succeed and fail, five years for it to turn a profit and for you to be really relaxed in your message. This shit takes time. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of dedicated work and it takes immense patience because when the teacher is ready, the student will appear. But I understand, you know, a lot of people like do spirit junkie or see something. They're like, I know that this is what I want to do. And when it hasn't jumped off three months later, it's like, oh my God, I'm failing. I want you to give yourself five years. I was reading in Forbes recently that the average graduate from Harvard at the midpoint in their career makes $160,000 a year, mid-career. Now, I've been in business for four years so far this year. I'm telling this to inspire you, not, you know, and these numbers also, I have expenses and stuff like that. It's not like the take home, but so far this year, I've made $180,000, but the first two years of business, like I'm making more, I'm making more than the average Harvard, Harvard graduate is at the midpoint in their career. But I've done this for four years. I spent $40,000 on my spiritual education and I spent that on my credit card. I didn't save up and get ready for it. I got shunted onto this path and I gave it everything that I've had, everything, I things got very intense and I almost gave up many, many, many times. It was very hard. And it was very hard mainly because I had quit my job in order to do it. So there was a lot of pressure for it to succeed financially. If somebody had told me like, honey, it's going to be five years before you're really relaxed in what it is that you're doing and you have to give yourself that time and, and not give up, but also make it easy for yourself. So many people get on the spiritual teaching slash life coaching thing and their entire business model is based off of one-on-one, one-on-one clients. Usually at a very high price point, the only way you can make more money is to raise your prices. And it's all it, it's not really designed to succeed. I would really, if you're wanting to be a life coach or a spiritual teacher, you need to give yourself the time and you have to invest in your education because the main main part of being a teacher is being a student. If you've never worked with a life coach before, it's going to be very hard for you to believe that people will invest in something that you've never deemed valuable enough to invest in for yourself. I've worked with many coaches, many teachers, many psychics, studied many different lineages. And it was very hard for me to pay for all of this stuff, but I did it because that's what being a teacher is, is being a student, and it creates your bandwidth for earning. If you spend five grand on a coach, you'll be like, people will spend five grand on me. If you spend 20 grand on a coach, you'll be like, people will spend 20 grand on me. If you've bought digital courses so far this year, I've done... 10 or 11, I do a lot of trainings, at least one per month. And these can range anywhere from $1,500 to $150. I pay for them happily because I know that they're... I've made digital courses before and I know that they hold the best of the best of what it is that I do enough to where I feel like they can, the message teaches itself without me having to be there personally. I've seen it work for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and it's affordable. But if you've never taken other people's courses, you won't think that you can build a course. If you've never worked with another teacher, you won't believe that people invest in yours. And so- Yeah. So give yourself time and invest in your education above all. Hit the books all the time. Podcasts all the time. Books all the time. All the time. High vibration music all the time. Learning new things all the time. Every single day for the rest of your life It's the best part of being a teacher. But you cannot rush this. You can't just keep changing your bio on Instagram and expecting, you know, seismic shifts every single time, although it's a start. But This is about a lot more than you telling the world that you're ready to teach. It's you telling yourself that you're ready to teach and that your story is valuable and that your story is important. I have a video on YouTube called how to become a life coach or a spiritual teacher. And in that I I talk about the quote from a course in miracles that says, you know, a a teacher doesn't ask, what do I most want to teach? You ask, what do I most want to learn? Not what you think will fit good with the fucking self concept you've created for yourself but what it is that you most need to heal do you, what have you been unwilling to look at your relationship with your parents an incident of sexual abuse abandonment your weird like binge eating thing whatever it is that you most need to heal start doing the work and the research on healing that nerd the fuck out on it and when you do you'll start out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so as you fill your heart with this message of healing from your own life, not from what you, someone else's story, from your own life, when you start working from that place, it'll start coming out of your mouth. And that's when you're a teacher. But it's not something that you, you do. It's something that you are. It's something that you become. And it's going to take you some time. So be okay with that. I want you to give yourself five years And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to give yourself five years for the rest of your life of not judging yourself, of not comparing yourself to other teachers, give it five years to work and give it five years of giving it everything you've got so that if it doesn't work in five years and it will, honey, it'll work by year two, but giving yourself five years to go from part-time to full-time and no criticism, no judgment, max out your fucking credit cards. If you need to do whatever you've got to do. But if you're serious about this, it's going to require everything from you. And you're not allowed to be fucking shitting the bed at six months because you're not making a $50,000 profit. Let me tell you something, honey, the coaches that tell you that you can go to $10,000 months in three months from zero are lying to you. They're not telling you the whole truth of the situation. They're not telling you that it's going to cost you $7,500 in ads, $10,000 in coaching. They're not telling you that you're going to have to, all they're telling you is like, you can do exactly what I did and it'll work for you. It doesn't really work like that. And if you're motivated just by like making the money, it's not going to happen like that. It's not going to happen like that. And so give yourself time of course you know there's cases where it does but like there's a lot of work behind the scenes work that goes into this and if you're trying to do like a get rich scheme there is no get rich scheme you just work hard and keep at it and don't give up at it on it and eventually it comes out take all of my courses if you're wanting to be a spiritual teacher oh my god Take Wheels Reinvented because Wheels Reinvented is every possible problem that every possible client will come to you with. It's going to be one of these seven issues. And if you know how to navigate them and heal them from observing your own life first, and then it's learn, teach, repeat. So we heal the role of guilt in your life through the root chakra by understanding where the origins of this are and healing it at its root through childhood trauma repair. When you do this, in addition to it, there's like this whole manual for coming out as a teacher that I wrote. It's a 72-page manual in addition to this teacher training, and you'll be taking clients by the end of it. I know exactly how much fire a teacher needs under their ass, but also how much healing they have to do first. And there's a six-month teacher training. It's the last year ever that I'm doing it live. After that, I wasn't going to do it, but it, it would be a crying shame if this work didn't exist in the world. It's the best teacher training that's out there. And there's a one day only, I put it on sale for one day. That's Black Friday where you'll be able to get it for 2000 instead of 3000 and there's a payment plan. So I would definitely, if you're like, I want to get, I, I want to I relax in what it is that I'm able to do for people to not speculate, oh, well, I think that when I get a client, I'll be able to help them do this. No. Be able to have testimonials from your clients telling you what you do, not you like speculating about what you hope to offer somebody. Um, You can read about that on my site. Okay, let's see. I'm a nurse working full time. I would love to have a job that I could work from the house and maybe only EO, nursing part time. I'm trying to manifest that path, but it's hard. I'm doing Kundalini yoga and I subscribe to the school, but it looks like a long path and sometimes doesn't seem real. Any advices? Yes, definitely. It's going to take time. And manifesting, it's a co-creation. So you will take every step by yourself, but spirit will show you the way. It's going to take time. I would definitely recommend, because you're on Bruja Report, start, I said that for the women's circle, start working on a vision board, just to have an idea of what it is that you want your life to look like. And you don't have to know, all you have to know is how it is that you want to feel how it is that you want to feel, how it is that you want your life to look, but not what you think is going to get you there. And it'll happen, but it's going to take time. If you're right now at a job that you don't like, and you want to have a job that you love, but you don't know what that is, it's going to take you some time. A way that you could really move faster on this is to do my workshop, How to Start a Business from Scratch, because it'll really walk you through. The first step of it is like developing your business plan based on the things that you love and then what to do with it. All of my workshops are very different from one another. So it's not like, okay, well, should I take How to Start a Business from Scratch or should I take Wheels Reinvented? Well, do you want to be a spiritual life coach or teacher? Take Wheels Reinvented you want to start a business, anything from starting your own Etsy store to, you know, a new type of shapewear or whatever, that's how to start a business from scratch. But I do, the reason I teach all of these diverse workshops is because I've had to learn all of these lessons. It wasn't enough for me to just work on money blocks. It wasn't enough for me to just work on childhood trauma. It wasn't enough for me to just work on business strategy. You need all of it together forever. And you have to accept that. Being a teacher is studying all the time. How do I heal or move towards doing the work on being ignored by loved ones? Perhaps sometimes it's made up in my head, but only because I'm questioning it based on past experiences. For instance, my dad will post how proud he is at different moments of his two sons, but never of me. I feel silly even being upset about that. Well, don't. It hurts your feeling. Or he will create a library of images wishing one sibling happy birthday, but not me. My birthday is a day before my brother. No need to read that part for anonymity's sake. What are you making me do on air right now? (laughs) There's like secret notes to me in this question. I mentioned once how I felt closer to him of the two parents and he responded by saying he always thought I was closer with mom. I've removed myself as much as I can at the moment and I find it weird and icky and it's so hard to see a lifelong relationship in a different reality. So much appreciation for your guidance. So much appreciation for you. All right. So check this out. It sounds like your dad loves your brothers more than you. Like it really, it really does. And you know, there's many ways that we could go about this, but I think that sometimes it's, you know, instead of trying to create a whole library of information of why you think the universe likes you, it's a lot more helpful to go straight to the core and be like, okay, well tell me why you think the universe doesn't like you. Because obviously you do somewhere. And if we go straight for that, instead of trying to just be like, yeah, the universe likes me when inside you don't believe that. it's not going to work. And something I find a lot of people struggling with in their relationships to their parents is like, how could somebody that loves me treat me like this? How could my dad who's supposed to love me be so emotionally unavailable and not acknowledge me the same way he acknowledges my siblings? Well, maybe he doesn't love you. Maybe he doesn't know how. Maybe he doesn't, you know, and maybe he loves you, but not in the way that you need to be loved. The most loving thing we can do for somebody is to accept them the way that they are. You know, your dad doesn't sound like he's emotionally available for you. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like he has the same ability to be tender and caring with you that he does for your other siblings. Now, the majority of the pain in this situation is coming from you hoping that one day he's going to wake up different. And he's not. He's not going to wake up different. There's people that go all the way to their deathbeds without ever telling their children that they're proud of them. But just because your dad's never going to tell you that he's proud of you doesn't mean that you have to slave all life, trying, setting him up, doing something really impressive and being like, dad, are you proud of me now? Like he's probably never going to say that. He's probably never going to make a sentimental post on social media about how proud he is of you on your birthday. It's probably never going to happen. The most loving thing that you can do for yourself and the most loving thing that you can do for him is to just stop hoping, because that's when it hurts. You know, oh, were you going to do it this time? Were you going to do it this time? All year you go knowing that he's not going to acknowledge you on your birthday, and when you get there and he doesn't, you're like, oh no, it hurts again. You knew it, so stop stop looking for it. Maybe he doesn't love you the same way he loves your brothers, and that's okay. That's okay, it's not the end of the world, but it's a hell of a lot easier to accept that, that our dad doesn't love us the way that we wanna be loved and that's okay, than it is to poison the idea of love by continuing to ask how could somebody that loves me treat me like this? Maybe he doesn't love you. We're gonna start moving through these a little bit faster. Real ways to honor your anger and feel it in a healthy manner. Great, my favorite way to honor my anger is to beat the shit out of my bed beat the shit out of my bed. There's also the Fists of Anger Kundalini Kriya, and you can do that with me and Patrick on my IGTV. Three minutes of consciously feeling the anger. You have to know though that anger is just sadness down the road. So if you get really real about your anger, you're going to get to the root, which is sadness. And the good news is that sadness can be healed. The bad news is that you're going to have to deal with the sadness that you feel about it. So for example, our last lady, if she, find, if she got real about, you know, I'm so fucking angry that my dad never acknowledges me the way that I want to be acknowledged. I'm so fucking angry that he loves other people more than me. If you let all of that anger out, you get to, I'm just so sad because I feel like, because my dad doesn't love me, that nobody's going to love me and there's something wrong with me. Then you have to work on that. I, the grief recovery method, there's one other teacher that is getting a lot of uh, press right now. Her name's Cassie Underwood, K-A-S-S-I Underwood. She's fabulous. And she is the only other teacher I know of right now whose secret weapon is also grief recovery. And that's my secret weapon. To me, like understanding how to grieve something fully was the most transformational process I've ever done. Life is suffering. Life is really sad at times, inexplicably uncontrollably sad at times. So understanding how to navigate sadness and be with sadness and be with discomfort is the most important thing we can do. Because if we don't know how to be with it, we either are spewing anger out all over everyone or either trying to numb it or control it with drugs, alcohol, and other addictions. So feel the anger, but understand that you'll get to sadness at the bottom of it, and then you're going to have to work with it. Question, what recommendations do you have for maintaining or growing your spiritual life and practices after having a baby? I'm five weeks. I hope you come to the innate mothering circle. I'm five weeks postpartum and home with my baby. This one is my second. The older kid is in preschool. My morning meditation practice went out the window once he was born, given the lack of sleep, need to nurse a baby, etc. I'd really hoped to use this blessed time away from my day job to deepen my connection to my soul and develop some sustainable spirit nourishing practices. Now that I'm slowly getting out of survival mode, I would love to be a little more conscious of how I use any free time or energy I might have. Any suggestions on how to reintegrate and reawaken my spirituality as a mother of a newborn? All right, check it out. You're the mother of a newborn for the second time. And something that I wish I had known when I had a newborn baby was like, just because it's not happening right now, doesn't mean it's never going to happen again. You can gain weight during pregnancy and sometimes feel like you just want to get back into your old body. You know, you want to get back into the body that feels comfortable, you know you as soon as possible. And when you have a newborn, honey, that's just not really a possibility. The best thing that you can do to enjoy the newborn experience is to not have too many expectations or too many places that you have to be because your sleep is all over the place and your schedule is all over the place. But like you meditate and you exercise because you love it. So it's not like, oh my God, if I'm not showing up for this every day, I'm never going to do it again. And my self-care practice is going to go out the window. It's like, no, you do these things because you like to. And the second you have time, you'll do it. It's really easy to get that one little stretch in because the baby's napping without being attached to the boob and you do, you know, little five minutes of pigeon pose or whatever. And you're not even enjoying it because you're thinking, man, there's the first pigeon pose I've gotten to in three months, and I really need to be doing this every day. When you have a newborn baby, it doesn't work like that. The good news is, is that Zen is all about being present, 100% present. Zen is the only religion that doesn't have a theology. In other words, it's the only church that doesn't worship a God. Zen is the awareness that God is in the present moment. And if you want to be meditating all the time, way better than sitting down trying to be present with your breath for 20 minutes is being present 24 hours a day in this beautiful postpartum bliss with your brand new baby. That's meditation. Being totally present with it their tiny hands, their weird nails, the light coming in through the window, the nap time, how weird it feels to be without sleep, the sensation of your breast milk letting down, the tightness in your legs if you can be present with all of that not wanting to be on the meditation pillow not trying to be that's you meditating 24 hours a day your schedule right now reiner is a year and a half old and he's walking around and entertaining himself a lot more so for the first time i can watch him from triangle pose I can watch, you know, he's self-entertaining. And, you know, a year and a half ago, I was stressing out so much because I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to meditate again. I'm never going to do yoga, yoga again. And that's not true. But you have a newborn baby. This is your second time doing this. Don't miss out on it. Way better than being present for 20 minutes a day in your meditation pillow is being present 24 hours a day with such a beautiful new baby. Okay, great. Um, Let's do, I think we might have one more question because Allie did such a great job on this question post that I I thought I had 15 questions, but there's not so many because uh, it's just all of us complimenting Allie on doing such a great job. Well, that looks like it for the day. I want to thank you all so much for being on here. Um, This is one of my favorite things that I get to do and just, yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of cool events going on. We have the women's circle on the full moon. Please come to that. It's free if you're on the Bruja report, Uh, $22 to drop in. Otherwise, we have circles on mothering. We have circles on eating disorders. Yeah. Um, But thank you so much for letting me be here to teach you. It's a pleasure. And yeah, remember what you want also wants you. You're not alone in this. And oh my God, who's on the school, dude? This Friday is going to be so lit. And we have the final Empress. I can't believe it. Empress, my, my business coaching circle. Um, it ha- is having its last little session on Thursday. And oh, I've just gotten so close to these women. Thank you all so much. And I hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Sat Nam. See you later. Bye-bye.